Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right, we are back with another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel, uh, and this week we will be covering Disco Inferno, the second episode of season two. Yes. Um, Hello, we, everybody. Yeah, Dennis and I are here uh, flying, not exactly solo, because there is two of us, but mm-hmm. uh, um, no, no guests this week. Uh, but you, dear listener, mm-hmm. could fix that for us <laughs> next time if you're interested in joining mm-hmm. us. Uh, we did have, uh, we chatted with Matt Dale, uh, who is the writer of Beyond the Mirror Image, uh, the the trivia guide that he has written. We were trying to make something work out for the day. It didn't happen. Hopefully sometime after uh, Thanksgiving or sometime in December we will work something yeah. out then. Yeah. So hopefully you'll be hearing Matt join us before the, the year is up. Um, but, uh, Disco Inferno, second episode of season two, directed by Gilbert Shilton, uh, written by Paul Brown, and, um, it was aired on September 27th, 1989. Our leap date is April 1st, 1967. Burbank, California is the 1976. 1976. That's important. It says 1976 right here in front of me. That's all right. That's all right. Boogies into 1976 as a sexy stuntman working on a disaster flick, but he has to hustle to prevent his brother from attempting a life-threatening stunt. Also, as I was looking stuff up on this, I found a YouTube video showing like the original like 30-second promo on NBC. No way. So maybe we'll drop the audio in, or if not, like when I when I do the blog post for this, I'll put the link in. That'd be to, great. Yeah. To that. To that promotion, because I always love seeing old, oh yeah, old promotions like that. Well, and it's interesting too because uh, I think that one of the great things about the Blu-rays is that we are getting the as aired episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's you know there's no edits for syndication, there's no changes in the intros or the outros, uh, which with the, not this episode but the next, next week's episode, episode that gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. it does. Um, so. Uh, speaking of which, there's no Saga Cell for this. Um, we, no, it's yeah. the same, same introducing. And I don't felt... Uh, when I first bought the DVDs, I probably watched this episode. This is probably the last time I watched this episode, and I'll get into that reason here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the Sam's intro into this episode... Yeah. They've always been kind of cheesy, but this one... It especially kind of drove me up the wall yeah. a little bit because the events of the last episode were fairly serious. You know, we're talking yeah. about you know d- d- domestic abuse and you know uh, I can't remember his name now, but the the possessive husband right, right. from the previous episode, Frenchie. Uh, f- uh, <laughs> Frenchie, we'll call him that. <laughs> I remember that? Henri. Right. Uh, Henri. Uh, yes. But Roger, Roger, that was it. I knew it started with an R. I wanted to say Renee, but I, uh, that was not it. Still Roger, <laughs> yes. Uh, but with the somewhat serious nature of that plot, like in this saga sale, Sam kind of compares it 
to uh, finding the perfect girl to ask to a yeah. dance, and you almost the prom. Yeah, the prom. the prom. That was it. And I'm like, that is such a weird analogy. Junks pose with these, you know, shots of her almost getting kidnapped yeah. and 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 shooting and other violence. I was like, ah, oh, that was a weird. That was, and I was like, oh, like I just can't wait for later in the second season when they actually get to the. To the saga cell, as we all yeah. remember it. Yeah, I, I it, it, it's interesting seeing these because I don't know that I've seen them, you know, since the episodes originally aired. I mean, mm. I probably have, but I don't have any vivid memories of them. So seeing them on the Blu-rays, it's been, um, it, it's been kind of cool. But at the same time, I get where you're coming from because it does feel this one feels a little cheesy, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't feel like it fits. It's very incongruent, like you're saying, with the last episode. And I think that with some of the other stuff that we've talked about with Sam and and his women, if you will, Mm. um, it kind of diminishes this, this last one. And, and, and she was important, you know, I mean, Diane was important for a couple of reasons Mm -hmm. because he's, he's struggling with whether or not, you know, he should sleep with her on the honeymoon. And then, you know, it turns out that she's the Senator at the end that keeps the project going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so she's kind of important and to reduce her to just being like, Quantum leaping is a lot like prom, you know, just when you find the right girl to dance with, the music changes. Yes. It's like, uh, I, I also find, I don't know if you've ever gone back, there are a handful of these up on YouTube to talk about promotional clips I was just mentioning about. Like, not just, uh, like, for individual episodes, like, there was one I found for Disco Inferno, but there are some I found out there just promoting the show in general. Sure, okay. And they are so bad and cheesy. Yeah. Like you like they weren't written by the episode writers, they were written by the marketing department. Right. And you could tell uh, especially early on in the series, they really did not have a grasp of how to promote the show. Yeah. Uh to draw people in. And I feel like like these little intros especially this one this week in particular yeah, more like written by committee of the marketing department instead of Paul Brown, the writer of this episode. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting to think was yeah was that was that something that was like forced on Belisario? Was that something that was just sort of like, look, no one's watching your show, so you have to do this at the top of every episode? Or you know, was it something that that the writer did come up with? Mm-hmm. Or again, like you said, is it by, by committee? Or was it a network saying like, here, insert something like this? Or I you think know? sometimes it was maybe Belisario himself because sure. he. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I don't think he trusted the audience enough to catch on. Yeah. No, that could very well be. And th- and I think that that certainly, as we will see and talk about, goes away uh, as the show moves on. Um, in particular, once we get to, like, you know, season four, which does sound like a long time, but once we get to season four, I feel like a lot of that stuff has, has fallen away. Um, but let's get back to Disco Inferno. So, so, he, uh, so he leaps in. He is, uh, we haven't learned his identity yet, but he right. is Chad Stone. He's in the middle of this huge... Dancing, he kind of looks at himself in his disco outfit and the and the shiny gold boots with the big the heel. big platform, yeah. And this woman is dancing and grinding up against him, and it, like she's moving him along, right, to a mark. And he makes the 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 point to himself that he would rather be dead. And this is when a point like Which, a, a guy who we we've gotten like a little cuts as here he's walking around the floor. walking around. Before we get there, real quick, I do want to add though the look of disgust. On Sam's face when he realizes that he's 
dressed in this outfit and disco music is playing and he's supposed to be dancing is priceless. Like you can tell that he loathes disco. Yes. He he loathed it when he was there and mm-hmm. when he was cuz he would have been like 22 23 years old when this, you know, was happening. Mm-hmm. So clearly like he was in that prime age where everybody else would have been crazy about it. Mm-hmm. But you just could tell by the look on his face and and that line like say he'd rather be dead. Like, he hated it then, he hates it now, he'll hate it 20 years from now. Yes. (laughs) But, as you were saying, he'd rather be dead. He'd rather be dead, and then, uh, creepy-looking guy, uh, or or scary-looking guy, pulls out shotgun, shoots him, boom, back through the window. Blood everywhere. Blood everywhere. And you're thinking the worst. Yeah. And it turns out that in spite of looking around and noticing his surroundings, he never once noticed the cameras that were shooting the film set that he is on because yes. he's a stuntman. <laughs> yes. And, and there we are. Uh, so we go to opening credits, actually, after he gets blown out the window, but then when he come back, yeah, he's uh, he lands on a mat. He half lands on a mat, right. which is kind of the precipitating event for the rest of the episode, that he just half lands on the mat. Yeah, and well, and uh, and so his brother, we'll find out, brother Chris, is, is next to him as mm. he's kind of half laid on the mat and is making sure he's okay, and then um, who we will find out, going to find out, is his father, uh, Ray, is is, is Played living. by Ryan Stiles. Not really, <laughs> but watching it, I was like, oh, that, like, if Ryan Stiles from the Drew Carey show, whose line is in any way. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah. actor, I was like... If you put Ryan Stiles in a scene playing like a curmudgeonly old stuntman, there he is, well, right there. It's interesting, though, because I will say Michael Green, who mm-hmm. does play Ray Stone, is another one of those, as we've talked about some of the actors coming in and out of the episodes before, he did everything. Like, that guy, Rockford Files, you know, uh, uh, Hill Street Blues, like, any TV show that was remotely big from about 1975 all the way to today. Like he's still working today in oh, some popular stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I can't even remember what the last thing was on his IMDb. Maybe I'll take a look at it. But anyway, uh, no, that's funny. That's funny that you say that. Um, so he, yeah, so he's pissed that, that this went wrong and uh, takes it on the director... And eventually, you know, decides, mm-hmm. screw you, we're leaving your crappy disco inferno, which is the name of the movie. Yes. It's uh, supposed to be one of those disaster films. Yes. Which were all the rage in the 70s. Oh, they will. I, I have a whole thing of notes that maybe we'll get into later yeah. on when we get to, to the earthquake set. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I took I took a couple there, so it'll be yeah. interesting to see. But the director was played by Peter, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Onorelli. He's one of the, I, I've seen him, uh, Goodfellas was his most prominent thing on IMDb. DB. He was in a short-lived series from 91 to 93 called Civil Wars mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Mariel Hemingway, which I vaguely... I remember slightly I vaguely well, recall. Yeah. I can't remember if that it was that series or another Mariel Hemingway TV series that had one of the first lesbian kisses in prime time. Oh, I, felt like it, I felt like it was that series. And I don't think... Her character was a lesbian on that show, mm-hmm. but there was some, there was some episode, there was some circumstances where she had a kiss with another woman, oh, and I and I remember yes. it being a big deal at the time. Uh, so apparently, it was um, L.A. Law. Yeah, L.A. Law had uh, in 1992 was was the first one, I guess, and then there was also one on Roseanne in 1994. So I don't know, but but it was. Mariel Hemingway um, in Roseanne with Roseanne. 
Oh, well, oh wow. Okay, so yeah. I got Meryl Hemingway yeah. right. You got, you got, yeah, exactly. I got that right. You're I got, on the right track. I got that right. I got everything um, else wrong. Right. But anyway. Uh, but anyway, like, you, yeah, Internet. he does. Uh, yeah, oh, Peter Ornella. Like, he's got, like, a small part. He's only in two scenes. But, oh, he is such a raging douchebag. Oh, yeah. And the thing he is. He does such a great job. One of the things Jessica and I were talking about uh, is in. It, right now, especially, seeing a director act the way that he is acting. It was so hard not to just be like, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Like, that's that's why, you know, there's an allegation a minute coming out is because of douchebags like this guy. Oh, okay. You know? Yes. Um, uh, because I, he's got that scene later on in the I, episode with Shannon. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and how she reacts to it. Oh, which yeah. Very, which was a very subtle thing. But also, what also crossed my mind in this and, and what later on comes in the episode, um, I, I don't know if you followed this news story, but a few months ago, there was a stunt person who was killed on the set of Deadpool. Yes. Two. A motorcycle accident, right? Yeah. yeah. And what's really, uh, that popped back into my head because there was a story that came out a few weeks later and I just read one thing of it and then I never saw anything about it again, but there was one news report that came out saying the fact is that that stunt woman wasn't a stunt woman. Oh, no. She wasn't, if, or if she was a stunt woman, she was not trained to do that the kind stunt. of stunt that she was oh. doing. And it was a thing of, like, everybody who was sane was uncomfortable on that set because she was uncomfortable doing it. It was clear she was uncomfortable doing it. And they did it take after take after take because she kept almost wrecking and then... And then finally the fatal accident oh happened. And like when I read that story, it looked like it was going to turn, it was going to turn into a thing. It was right. going to, you know, to, to affect some kind of change or it may affect, um, how the movie was going to move forward. And then I didn't hear anything else about it after that. So that's one of the first wow. things that, that, yeah, that popped into my mind of just one, the director being a raging douchebag, but also like him having no regard for, for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, and I I think again, um, we might as well just jump into it right now since we're talking about it, but the, the stunt profession in particular and how, you know, this particular episode taking place in, in the mid seventies and how there were numerous, mostly after this, but around this time, you know, film and television programs that had to do with stuntmans. You know, there was uh, the Burt Reynolds movie Hooper. There was the stuntman with Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. There was the fall guy with Lee Majors. That was a TV show for a while. Like, it was, the industry itself was sort of glamorized <laughs> by these films and these television shows. And it's interesting because I will say that both Hooper and um, uh, the stuntman... I, I, they they do kind of glamorize it, but in a weird way, because the stuntman turns into almost like a horror thriller where the director's trying to kill the stuntman mm-hmm. uh, and wants to, like, capture it on film. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a crazy film. It's kind of hard to come by these days, if I'm not mistaken, but if you get the chance, I'd check it out. Uh, and then Hooper is sort of this comedy, not really sort of drama. Sally Field's in it. Jan Michael Vincent is in it. It's one of his first movies. But, um, but... It, 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 it kind of glamorizes the profession while at the same time showing the toll that it's taken on Burt Reynolds' character. And, and, you know, at one point they're even, like, talking about, like, you know, the broken bones and bruises and cuts and, you know, everything that he's suffered over the years. Um, 
And then, of course, in, in, in The Fall Guy, it, it's usually played for a gag because, you know, he's like a private investigator, you know, but at the same time, he's a stuntman in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, and so he'll, he'll do these stunts. And then inevitably, he'll use the stunt that was shown in the beginning of the episode. He'll use something almost very much like it to capture the crook by the end oh, of the show. Oh, is that what it, Okay. Oh, man. But I, I loved that show when I was a kid. That was, I, I mean, I, I was aware that it was on TV at the time. Yeah. And I knew that he was a detective, but I never put that. You probably the, the stunt man. I mean, had you seen it, you know, the, the just the few years that you have on me, you probably would remember it better than I do, honestly. Because when it was originally airing, I mean, it started to air. I think I would have only been like one years old, so I I, I, I don't remember a lot of the early days, but I remember enough of when it, the tail end of the show, when I was like three or four or five, somewhere in through there, I think mm. I remember enough of it. Uh, at the time to to be like oh yeah and then syndication of course but for sure and I feel anyway. uh, at one point going back to the to the quantum leap promos mm-hmm. at one point I think quantum leap and the fall guy ran on the same night because there was mm. some there was some promo I stumbled upon recently where in the commercial Sam leaps into the fall guy no way I wonder if that that had to be a syndication thing though because I'm pretty sure the fall guy was off the air by like eighty six. Unless there's like a TV movie, you know, I know what I think. I uh, there was another show called Midnight Caller that I think I may be conflating with the Fall Guy. Okay, either way, either way. <laughs> so there we are. But and so in addition to the stuntman thing and the mystique of that being explored in the late '70s and early '80s through film and television, disaster films, which I think in some ways might have precipitated that fascination with stuntmen, because you know you had in the early '70s, mid '70s, you had all these disaster movies mm-hmm. that were so popular, whether it was like Airport. Or Towering Inferno, or Earthquake, mm-hmm. Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah though, yep, those are all the ones I had jumped <laughs> down. Just bing, 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 bing. So bing, it's check it, off. It, it is kind of just interesting the way that this episode decides to play in that, and 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 going back to looking at the first season where some episodes were very much genre episodes. It's like here's our Private Eye episode, here's our you know, <clears throat> excuse me, here's our mob episode, whatever. Uh, it's interesting that this episode doesn't really do that as much. Like, it's not focusing on the stunts. It's not focusing on the disaster movies. It's using that because it's part of the setting, but it doesn't feel like a part of the plot. Whereas in the Private Eye episode or the Mob episode, those were like part of the plot. Mm -hmm. And I think this episode wins because it doesn't make it about the stunts. It doesn't make it about the disaster movie. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I and, and I just appreciate that. Yeah, it's 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 a skeleton to hang the story on, but right. it's not. Yes. And going okay. real back, this episode is going to be all over the place. I can already tell. Mm. Uh, I had some coffee. You know, it was a Starbucks morning. Anyway, uh, our director, Mister Onorati, uh, who not only was uh, in an in a. Um, television program called uh, The Leap Years, which I think is funny, mm-hmm. uh, has been seen all over the place, even recently, um, is in uh, This Is Us, uh, is also, uh, was on SWAT, um, so he's, you know, he's even working to this day as mm-hmm. well. Oh yeah, um, uh, looking up his profile, I was surprised, like, I think there's only a year difference between him and Scott Bakula. Oh really? In age. Okay. Whereas, no, 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 yeah, where this episode, I'm like, I would easily put 10 years on him over mm-hmm. Scott Bakula, but... Right? The mustache does a lot, I guess. Um, another thing that I think that is great in that opening scene, getting back to the episode after Sam is shot, is that the family dynamic is established so well, mm-hmm. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really helps to, I think, draw us in as an audience and say, you know, 
not only is this who Sam is and who he's left into, but these are the people that are important to that guy's life. And that's something that we don't often get, at least not in such a graceful way. It just feels very natural and very, it, it really works. And mm-hmm. I really, really like it. And I like, it's like, oh, that's his brother. That's his father. Here's the director. Oh, this is what he does for a living. This is, and it's just set up so well in, in, in a very economical way. Uh, in a very you know non clumsy way, which is not always true of quantum. Not by <laughs> yeah. So, and what I love is like they they quit the movie out of protest over this stunt not going well, and the director not wanting to to mm-hmm. get to the bottom of why the the mat was moved. And what I love is is that they quit. They just hang out on set. <laughs> the next the next ten minutes of this yeah. episode take place on the set of the movie that they just quit. Just turned to be at one point. She's like. Wait, didn't they quit? Like, why are they still there? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice set piece to, sure. to be there. Well, and the music and the music ah the music yeah. So this will get me into. Uh, I don't remember. I, I'm I saw this in a rerun during the original run, but I remember when the DVDs were coming out. I was really excited for season two to come out because yeah. I feel overall uh, season two sums up is is a is the best representation of the show compared with all the other seasons not all of the best episodes took place in the season sure but i feel like it is representative like if i had to sit someone down and say and give them one season i say this represented what quantum leap was yeah. season two would be it so i was really the first two episodes of season three but and, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> so i was really excited for season two yeah. to come out on dvd so uh i get it this would have been in the in the fall of 2004 and i'm watching this specific episode like i'm watching like these first 10 minutes that we're talking about and there was something that was off yeah i couldn't put my finger on it but there was something that was off like i even turned to my then wife now ex-wife um, and I was like, there, there's just, I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something off yeah. like that I, uh, about this episode. And then it was the next day I was on some quantum leap forum just looking around and that's when like, Hey, has anybody noticed that the music is different on the DVDs? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, in son of a bitch, you know, Matt actually points this out in his book, uh, and I'm sure you can find it elsewhere as well. But, to, since this is in front of me, the fact that. That's the way I like it. Uh, Kung Fu Fighting and The Hustle were all dropped from the DVD release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently, and I've not seen it because I, I, as big of a fan as I am, I protested. I did not buy the DVDs. I just didn't. I was like, when I found out about that, I'm like, I'm not doing it. Uh, especially because of what happens in season two's finale. Yes. That was no, the, yeah. that Actually, was the, that, that that was was the deal breaker. Yeah. I went home from work that day and that was the next yeah. episode I popped in to see what they did. And, yeah. Yeah. I was I was literally like I I have this on VHS and I will keep my VHS mm-hmm. until this is rectified. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently there was a very awkward, in like the 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 leap in was made very awkward because of the lack of the song being used. Um, so I but I like I said I didn't see it unfortunately so I don't know. Um, but the music, yeah, it, being restored on the Blu-ray is is pretty fantastic. You know, it's it's there, and I think because knowing what had happened with the DVDs, it almost stands out even more. You know, it's, it, it, you appreciate the fact that it's, that it, it is in the episode. It is all there. And it's like, that's, that's what should be playing. Mm. You know, there's no question about it. That music. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of music, speaking of music, this, uh, Tracy, 
Oh, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we meet uh, Tracy Devine, a music producer, which will come into play later on in the episode. Yeah. Uh, she is obviously very attracted to Chad. And once we see Sam. his mirror image, we can understand why. We can see, yes. Yeah. He is Chad's very, a handsome man. He is very, yeah. Um, and so they have a... Uh, I would say a flirtatious scene, but the flirtation only <laughs> the oh. flirtation only goes in one direction. Yeah, and and in the scene where she gives him a, a mood ring and Sam's yeah. voiceover commentary, uh, further solidifies how much he he hates this decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in in Toto, and it's interesting because uh, yeah, she's obviously very taken with him, but compared to the way that some other women treat him throughout the episode, and mainly their prior conquests of Chad's. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like there's something a little more to Tracy, you know? And to the point where it's like you wanted to get a little more of that character. And that could just be the actor. Um, but there, there, was, there were a couple of moments where I was just sort of like... I want to know more of Tracy's story. Mm-hmm. Like, where's she coming from? Was it because is she, is she is she literally just out here just thinking like, mm, that's a handsome man. Yeah, I want well, to I mean, know him. Well, like even in this scene while they're talking, he Chad yeah. Sam has a woman approach, and, it, and it's very clear we that they had a relationship. Never learn her name either. Never her learn her name, and, and it's clear that that Sam obviously can't remember for obvious reasons. But it's very likely that if Chad was there, Chad wouldn't remember her because that seems like that is that is part of Chad's story. Yeah. And Tracy sees this and is not deterred by it. No. She's still just sort of like... I feel like Tracy's someone who could chew him up and spit him out just as easily as Chad could the other way around. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So, there's there's Tracy. Um, uh, and then after, the, after that bit and the mood rings, uh, we get Hal's entrance. Uh, but before then, before we get Hal's entrance, uh, on the flip side, we see Chris, the younger brother, meet Shannon... Mm, what, yeah, I might, my notes might be a little out of order. Yeah, right. uh, I mean, I mean, it, it, I feel like this this may have taken beforehand, or, or if not, but anyway, but yeah, Chris yeah. And, and Shannon meet, and, and Chris almost like almost like blows her off, like yeah, yeah, yeah go meet my brother. Everybody's interested in my brother. And yeah, she, and she's yeah. like, I'm not. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not every. Yeah, I'm not every other girl. So, yeah. uh, played by Kelly Williams in one of her one of her first roles. She's only 19 when they mm. filmed this, and uh, and Kelly Williams actually has been in some of my. Like she was in the practice, and she was amazing in the practice, um, especially like when the practice was really, really good. Took itself a little too seriously, but still really, really good. And then it got really bad and crappy, and then it got really great again at the very end when they brought in James Spader and William Shatner, and mm-hmm. then it spun off and then Boston, Boston Legal. Legal. Yeah, and Boston Legal was amazing. Um, but she's also in NCIS, so there's a nice little crossover there. Um, mm. And uh, was she in NCIS? <sighs> That's a very good question, and I didn't have that in my notes. She's I not the. She's. Uh, I, I've only seen a couple of episodes of like the original NCIS. She's not the goth. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, okay. She was in two episodes. Uh, one in 2014, one in 2015, playing Special Agent Marine Cabot. Mm, okay. Um, I don't know much about that show, so I don't know. Yeah, but she's done. I mean, she's obviously worked a lot, uh, mostly in television um, since. Um, um, Quantum Leap and, and had done some work before Quantum Leap as well but not much because obviously she was so young at the time mm-hmm. um, so Quantum Leap was really one of her one of her first things she did a show the year after which is interesting and I'm gonna do a little spoiler here so spoiler alert for the next like 
minute, maybe. Fine. <laughs> but she played the girlfriend of Elvis Presley on the Elvis television show that ran for, like, half a season the very next year. And the actor who played Elvis in that TV show is the same actor that played the mirror image of Elvis in uh, Memphis yes. Melody. Yeah. That, act, that actor got a little bit of work doing that. He did indeed, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right, spoilers are over. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, so they meet, yeah, so they, uh, so Chris and Shannon meet and they hit it off. And then somewhere around this time, this is when Al shows up on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I mean, <laughs> how does this movie set work that there's just this prolonged dance sequence? You know, my thought is, my thought is, and I, I'm sorry if I offend anyone who might have been alive during the time. My thought is, is that this movie set is a movie set in name only, and that they're all dancing. There's a line of coke, you know, over here oh, that somebody's yeah. doing. Somebody's having sex in the dressing room. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is just a party, especially knowing the director. This mm-hmm. director is probably just, like, you know, handing out vials of coke and hoping everybody's having a good time and that he'll have the best time of anyone, and they're just going to keep that music playing. And But you're right. It, it is weird. It's kind of like, this is a movie set, not a dance club. Mm-hmm. That said, but, yeah. it makes for a great entrance. Yeah, that allows me to make, but yeah, Al shows up, and so we get more of a conversation between Sam and Al. And the key bits that we learn in this one is that Ziggy has crashed, Yeah, and in the crashing, he has put an extra zero in everybody's paycheck, yeah. paychecks, and half the project has taken off. Yep. And before we get into the next part, I love that the last episode was all about Project Quantum Leap trying to get more funding right. for another year. And this now, episode... Half the project has taken off because they got an extra big paycheck. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe no wonder why you're 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 fighting for funding so much. Yeah, is, right. is that you're wasting money due to a like computer this, error like this? But uh, anyway, yeah, it is funny, and for some reason, and I don't honestly, I don't know why, um, the extra zeros on the paycheck line is something that has stuck in my brain since 1989. Like, I have just... Like, when I think of Quantum Leap, this sounds insane, because I have no explanation for it. That's something that always comes to mind. Extra zeros on a paycheck. Yeah, and I don't... And I I have no idea why. I can't fathom the reason why, but it has literally stuck with me since I saw the episode when I was eight years old. It's just something that caught in your brain in the right... I guess so. The right concept. I don't know. Um, But then the second part of that is... They don't know how, but sometime in the next two days, Chris, Chris is, gonna is going to die. Yeah, in a stunt. No, they don't, they don't, they don't say they, that it's they, a stunt? They don't, they don't even know that. Okay. Just sometimes in the, sometime in the next two days, Chris is going to die. Okay. And uh, watching this one particular scene, I don't know why watching it this time when this would have popped up in previous episodes, like it really caught me like... How easy it is by today's standards, like, if I want to know how any random person died, it is very likely, just give me their name and where they were at the time, and I could get on the internet, and I could probably get a reasonable idea why. And just how, when this episode was made, like, that... That wasn't even a thought of just like the internet. You can right. just like really quickly get on and find out any piece of information. Well, it's that it's that idea, you know, that it, 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 technology once it reaches a certain stage becomes indistinguishable from magic, you know. Uh, and I think that watching Quantum Leap, it at the time it originally aired, it seemed like sci fantasy, you know, the the idea that 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 any of this could be possible, really, and not that you know. You couldn't 
get records on people. You certainly could at the time, but it was going to take you a lot longer than Al pressing little buttons on the hand link, which, by the way, the hand link... Uh, is 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 very interactive and vocal in this episode. I was gonna say yes. Yeah. I, I had the thought like yeah, there was uh, not in this scene, but there's a later scene mm-hmm. where the the sound when effects on the balcony. On the, yeah, the sound effects are very mm-hmm. interesting for this one. But I think just like what the hand link looks like, I think this is the form that it has until we get to the to the hand the 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 flashing Legos that everybody is yeah. most familiar with. Yeah, I think this is what the hand link looks like up until. I think you're right. Uh, there may be one more change, but I think that's that. This is yeah. This yeah. is the, the the next standard. Um, well, and you know, we get this nice moment where Sam is immediately, you know, he's sort of like, oh, you know, I. He he feels sort of a kinship with with mm-hmm. Chris, even though the idea of being a big brother to Chris, yeah. right? And then we get the big reveal, yes, which I would argue, and I think you would argue as well is something that had been planned from the get-go. I would guess that is correct. Yeah. Um, and and the fact that it took them this long to get there shows great restraint. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that there are too many little hints and clues when you go back that it all really makes sense that this was something that had existed in Don Belisario's mind mm-hmm. since day one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because it, it, it is in the scene that we found, yeah, he has an older brother named Tom. That's what yeah. he can remember in this scene. Yeah. And we've kind of danced around this before. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first person that he leaps into in the first episode is named Tom. Tom, yeah. Um, in Honeymoon Express. Honeymoon Express. into a Tom. He, he leaps into a guy named Tom, yeah. and they are both, uh, the first Tom is in the military, and the other Tom is in law enforcement, which is... Yeah. Military adjacent. And we get this and we get this really, really beautiful version of and it's not even called this at this point in time, but that is what it is known as now. But we get this really beautiful version of the leap home suite. Of the home thing, yeah. Yeah, which is and it's really, really beautiful. And and Sam has this, you know, immediate desire to know more. It's like I can't remember. Why can't I remember? I didn't remember this earlier, you know, why didn't you tell me? You know? And um and it's just this really nice moment and it's and it's amplified not only by what Scott Bakula does and what the music does, but by Dean Stockwell. Because yes. he doesn't say a lot, but mm-hmm. man, does he do a lot. And mm-hmm. his performance throughout this whole episode is, is pretty stuff. I will, yes. Uh, 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 this scene, the scene on the balcony later on, and uh, especially the last scene mm-hmm. of the episode, especially the last scene of the episode, we'll dig into it when we get there. Like, yeah. it is... It is weirdly, delightfully awkward between the two. Yeah. And anyway, we'll get there when we. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, it's interesting too because I will say that in in I I feel like now that they now that they know more about what the show is going to be, uh, we've talked about how Scott Bakula has kind of really dialed into who Sam is mm-hmm. um, through the end of season one. I feel like now the writers and Dean Stockwell have really figured out who Al is. And mm-hmm. it's really beautiful to see because, you know, Al is someone who we can laugh at and laugh with, and he's also someone that can, and this is just a testament to Dean Stockwell as an actor, really handle those weightier moments in just beautiful and, and usually understated ways, which for how over the top he might get sometimes with some of the comedic moments... Over the top might be the wrong way to put it, 
but he's he can get a little bigger in some of those comedic moments to see how restrained he is in these more serious moments is just it's really beautiful mm-hmm. you know and, what I, yeah. I I think uh, and I know we've talked about this off mic about some of the heavier stuff that Al gets later on mm-hmm. in the series is that one of the things that Dean Stockwell enjoyed was the over the top nature of it and I think Dean Stockwell does very good in the in the quieter more powerful yeah. moments. I think at that point he had just reached his point in career where he just wanted to have fun and he didn't want to do like the really heavy weightier sure moments. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I he, from what I've read like he's a kind of actor like like he dials into his own past and his own personal pain and sometimes you just get to a point in your acting career where you don't you don't want to do that you anymore. Don't, you don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah. Um so we 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 get out of the the brother discovery scene mm-hmm. um you know with without reaffirming i can't tell you anything and you know that um and uh and eventually we get we, we get to their apartment chad well but there's this neat little moment when they come up on the corvette chad and chris do uh chris by the way is played by an actor named chris spelled with a k however cam mm-hmm. um who's an evanston illinois native oh, which wow. dennis and i are in chicago so uh, you know, nearby, but he hasn't done a whole lot. Has, I mean, he has a resume for sure, and he was a regular on the TV show Coach for a while. Oh, okay. but doesn't have like the the huge resume that some of the other people have. Uh, Chad's the mirror image. Chad is uh, an actor named Kevin Light, and I use the word actor lightly, no pun intended, because the guy's got like three credits. And no offense to the gentleman, because I hope that he's found lots of work in other media. Uh, but could just be a case of, oh, that face is a face that I want to see as my mirror image. Uh, yeah, but that's about all I want to use him for. <laughs> you know, now that I think of it, and, and as the series unfolds as we watch it, I may be proven wrong. Like, I don't... I mean, Quantum Leap features a lot of actors who, one, you pointed out, they were mm-hmm. doing a lot of work on different series at the time, or they went on to do other things. Right. I don't know that there are very many uh, actors who played the mirror image yeah. where they went on and did something that they were known for I think later that, on. Yeah, I think there might be a couple. And I do think that the other thing that's interesting is that if you, if, if you did this show today, um, or even if the show had aired maybe six or seven years after it had begun, debuted, um, it would have totally been a gimmick. They absolutely, oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. in Frasier, you know how the people who call in on Frasier and the phone yes. are always like famous people or whatever? Mm-hmm. It would have been the same thing. It would have been like, that. Or, the mirror or, image always would have been like somebody just like random. Or, or the people popping out of the window on the old Batman TV series. Yes. 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 That's great. I, I love how we just referenced Frasier and <laughs> Batman and all, yeah. and all the same thing. It all comes back around. Yeah. So, so they have this moment when they get in the vet. Uh, we're not, with the, uh, um, yeah, because we're not they there get, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you said you were getting them home and they get in the vet first and they have the eight track conversation. Where Sam's like eight tracks, these old eight tracks, and and uh, oh, you're and right, Chris you're right. Like, For some reason, I was complaining that with like the next day. Uh, the the earthquake set piece yeah but it's but great yeah. because Chris has this thing what are you talking about old you just bought him yesterday and yeah he's like well you know they they get old fast and then he starts rattling off the names mm-hmm. um, which which will I'm not going to get into specifics because you can obviously look it up but man as much as this feels like the 70s mm-hmm. and, and 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 it really does uh, when they got to the specifics of the date and continuity. Whew, 
no one was keeping track because there are so many continuity errors in this episode. Like there are things that are from 1974 that they're saying are happening in 76. There are things that didn't happen until 78 or 79. There are albums that didn't come out. And I don't care because it feels right. You know, it's it's one of those where uh, where if they got one or two things wrong, you're like, oh, somebody slipped up. But it's obvious when there are these many things. Yeah. Like they didn't care. No. Like, they were just, no. And it's also interesting to note that this is 1976. This episode aired in 1989. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like for like for Sam and Al, like are present day, there's about a 20 year difference. But between like actual present day when this episode aired and when this episode is set, it's only 13 years. Yeah. So that's like a, a modern TV show today taking place in 2004. Oh man, which which you know it is 13 years ago, yeah. but it's not really that. It doesn't feel like that long it, ago. It, it doesn't yeah. really that yeah that long ago. I mean, when I was a little kid watching it. It was a lifetime ago because 76 was three years before I was born. Right. But, yeah. But yeah. Now, have they... Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Did we did we skip something else? They haven't had the moment where Chris asks to get Chad's stunt the next day. That hasn't already happened, has it? I feel like maybe it has because he goes and he sulks in his room and plays guitar. That's what I said. Like, I feel like the Corvette scene happened after we get, we, we get the scene with... Chris sulking in his room playing guitar. No, it happens before, but that's the weird thing. We skipped a big moment. Um, like I said, we're all over the place today. Oh. There's a moment that happens after Al has told Sam that Chris is going to die, and Sam has the brother revelation. There's the moment where the dad is 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 seen kind of horse playing around with Chris, mm. and then ends up like Chris wants to do the stunt mm. and asks. Yeah. Sam, if he can do it, and Sam's like, no, I don't think you should, and Chris gets a little hurt by that, and, and, and you know, the dad is like, hey, if your brother says that that's okay, that's what's going to happen. They get in the car, Chris is driving, which is also weird, because, you know, if you think Chris is going to die at some point in the next two days, do you want him behind the wheel of the car? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, they get back to the apartment, Chris goes to his room, and we find out immediately that he's like a virtuoso on the guitar. That's it, yes. Um, and and the, the stunt is important to Chris because one more stunt and yeah. he gets his... His union card. card. Yeah, he gets yeah. his union card. Yeah. yeah, so so we have that moment in the Corvette, and then this is when uh, Chris is sulking, playing the guitar. He's like, yeah. He's... And we have this nice little moment before Sam goes into the room, which plays into what we were just talking about about how Sam is is like slowly starting to remember certain things about his own brother, mm-hmm. and and how he oftentimes would be, you know, upset because. Tom would be telling him he couldn't do something, and now he realizes because now he's a big brother in this situation, he mm. gets it a little bit more. Um, and it's nice because the episode really does give us these little, is almost as Sam is remembering, we're getting to see those pieces, and it, and it just feels right. It feels really nice, and it happens, you know, through I think like there's like three or four particular points in the episode where mm. Sam will remember something yeah. and tell us about it. Well, I, I feel like this is the one in the voiceover that. Uh, I had forgot that they had done this and telegraphed it so hard, but I think this is the moment where where Sam he, he gets to a point, he gets to a point, and he hits a roadblock, and he was like, "I I want to remember, I'm afraid, mm-hmm. but why?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, to me, that was like hitting the nail a, yeah. little, a little bit Je- too hard on the head. Jess guessed it too, but what she didn't guess was the how, and that, in her opinion, had more of an impact than the what. So we'll get there. Okay. But, but there's, but yeah, he has, he picks up, because he picks up the picture of Chris and mm-hmm. Chad as, as boys. And he has this moment where he remembers that Tom was like, um, what is it? Uh, 
I wrote this down. So, oh, Tom played basketball uh, in high school. He was on varsity. They were all state champs. You know, mm-hmm. Sam wanted to play basketball, but he was never as good as Tom. You know, there's this really nice little moment. And then, of course, Sam is hearing the guitar this whole time, and he goes into Chris's room, mm-hmm. and Chris is like, haven't you heard of knocking? And they have this just great little moment as brothers, mm-hmm. um, and Sam starts saying how great he is. Great, yeah, but also like he 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 throws out a little bit more of his own personal history in there that that he wanted to play bet like he mm-hmm. he knew of his other brothers and, yeah. and he wanted to play basketball but the older brother knew his gift wasn't in basketball was in quantum physics talked him into going to MIT, MIT and pats himself on the back and that you know he also won a Nobel Prize also ended up winning a Nobel Prize yeah, it's great it's like and which it's, I think uh, that's a revelation because I know in the pilot they said that Time Magazine had called him the next Einstein. Mm-hmm. And had we but, ever heard had we heard MIT before either? I'm not. I don't think we heard. Yeah, MIT. I think this uh, is MIT. And we no knew Rome. that we knew that Al had gone to MIT mm-hmm. from a line dropped in the pilot. But I think this is the first time we found out that Sam had gone to MIT, and this is the first time we found out that Sam is a Nobel Prize winner. Which is also funny because going back real quick, one of the things that Al says when he comes in dancing and he's all excited around all the women and everything is he talks about how. Or no, 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 no. I'm sorry, that comes later because he changed the, the outfit. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Sorry. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but that's it. So we, we get a little uh, personal history from Sam and also him, like him encouraging Chris to to perhaps pursue his music. Yeah. And it's weird because you get the sense from Chris, and, 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 and I seriously, Chris Cam does a wonderful job in the role, because you get the sense from Chris in this moment that while he's feeling a little angsty over the fact that he doesn't get to do the stunt, that there is more of a passion and more of an interest in music, but he's never had anyone tell him that this is something that he could do, regardless of how good he is at it or how much he wants to do it, because no one has ever really given him the permission to pursue it. He thinks that this other thing is more important. So again, I think that some of his angst over not getting to do the stunt doesn't come from his real true desire to be a stuntman. It comes from the fact that that's what he has permission to do. And so he feels like he has to prove himself and say, like, I can, I, I can do this thing that is the thing that you want me to do or you think I and have that's, to do. And that's, that's, that's what's going to prove his manlyhood to, to his, his dad. To his dad. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just an interesting moment between the two of them because, again, I, I think that the dynamic works well and, and what we've gotten before and, and, and what we're going to get after, the, the, that brother relationship is, is working out nicely. And it's interesting to hear Sam's point of view because Sam was the little brother. But now he's being the big brother. Um, and then, of course, Chris also lets him know that Shannon's coming over later. No, actually, Shannon shows up. Like, she pulls up, or, like, he, he hears the car pull oh, okay. up or something, and he looks out the window, he's like, oh, my God, she actually showed up. Right. They please, were, yeah. please, yes. please don't hit on her. That, which which from, is what I was getting yeah, to. Yeah, remind me, uh, I, I have three sisters. I have no brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have uh, two friends that are, are basically like brothers, and we still stay in contact. Like, we have, like, a, an ongoing message thread. That goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. And and one of them, when we were in high school and college, he was that guy. Yeah. He was that guy. He was better looking than the rest of us. And he knew <laughs> he could sweep in and take any girl yeah. that, that may be interested in us. Uh, um, he never did that to me, but he did that to another... He did that to another one of my friends uh, twice. Yeah. Now, he ended up being married... To the, to the one that he stole away from the other one. Well, so, yeah, you can say it all worked out in the end. But everybody, like, oh yeah, everybody knows that that guy. I mean, I I, I wasn't 
that guy to the degree that I was, you know, the, the most handsome, but I was that guy in so much as there, there were at least two occurrences where there was a situation where a good friend of mine and I were, were both attracted to the same woman and, you know, I ended up being the one that dated her, you, you know, uh, which the first time was no big deal. It was, it was, you know, it didn't matter. The second time it was kind of a big deal, but you know, whatever. These things happen, you know, hormones, yeah. you're young. What are you going to do? It I happens. don't know. But anyway, so, <laughs> so, so Shannon shows up yeah. and, and Chris makes a plea, like, please don't hit on her. And you know, for, for someone who doesn't necessarily get a lot to do or fleshed out a lot Kelly Williams is great in the role. And, and she has a couple of moments that I feel like are, are, are we, we learn something about who she mm-hmm. is. But for, for the times when she's just sitting there not saying anything, which there are a couple of scenes where she's just there and she doesn't really have any lines, she's still just great. And she, and, and she seems important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they do give her, they, they flesh her out and that she's very interested in politics. This that, scene, that yeah, plays we get that. Another one. Uh, yeah, she does. She does a lot with what she's given. Yeah, um, and, and and so they're sitting around having a few watching, beers, watching SNL. Actually, they are not watching SNL. They are not watching Saturday Night Live. Well, because that's right. Yes, yes. Because yes, yeah. this is as I was, I was looking stuff earlier, up. Yeah. yeah, this was actually called NBC's Saturday Night at the time because ABC had a show. Okay, it wasn't called Saturday Night Live, but it was something something yeah, called was, very similar to. I think it was called Howard Cosell's Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So for actually the first two seasons of Saturday Night Live, it was actually called NBC's Saturday Night. Saturday Night. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about earlier, like how they're all over the place. The first sketch that they're watching with Bill Murray, they didn't get Bill Murray on SNL for over another season. Yeah, like later. seventy-seven. And Chevy Chase and Bill Murray were never apparently on. Uh, an episode together because Chase was only in like the first two seasons, and Bill I thought Murray, Chase was only in the first. I thought he was only in the first that, season. That might be right, actually. And I think like yeah. after the first season, like he was, uh, he was like, okay, I got mine, and I can go off and be famous. And, now. Yeah, I'll go off and be famous. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. There's you know there there's there's um, a great great book. I think it's called Inside Saturday Night Live, um, which details a lot from you know from the horse's mouth because there's a lot of interviews and clearly there's probably a couple of things that get left out here and there, uh, maybe some of the more salacious tales, but uh, it, it's still pretty honest and raw in some instances. And mm. uh, there is there is absolutely truth to the mat that uh, people were not a huge fan Penny of this. Yeah. Oh, if you if you, if you want to see something raw, I think you can only find this on YouTube now. Go watch. I think it was 2002. The 2002. Comedy Central roast mm. of Chevy Chase. Mm. Mm. It is rough, yeah, to sit through. Uh, Paul Schaefer was the MC. He comes out with an opening number that he just admits this is going to suck because we couldn't get anyone good. Because later on, the Comedy Central roast turned into a thing right. where they, they brought in a lot of B-level comics who didn't really have a personal connection with the roastee, but they were just looking for some stage time to, sure. to get, you know, some screen time to get some experience to get their name out there. Yeah. But uh, early on in these in these roasts that Comedy Central was doing, they would actually get people who were connected to that person's career. Right. Or, or, or comedy greats who had great admiration. 
I remember the, the, the first one that Comedy Central did was Andrew Carey, and they had a lot of, like, really old-school comics yeah. that really tore him apart, but they, you know, like, they had a lot of great admiration for, for Drew Carey's career. Yeah. But anyway, so he had Chevy Chase. Yeah. And so Paul Schaefer does this entire song about how this row sucks, we couldn't get anyone good, we scraped the barrel... And it was so all of these all of these comics got up and they just ripped Chevy Chase apart. Yeah, and just like all of the you know all, all of the drug abuse and what an asshole he was to other people. Uh, Stephen Colbert was on it, and Stephen Colbert was the least profane. Actually, mm-hmm. I don't think he used anything other than just like you know being on the the most basic mild swear words. Sure, he was the least profane. But he ripped Chevy Chase in such a way yeah. that it was horrible. Um, and even, like, the, the the last line of his bit was, like, and if you feel like you're a horrible human being, you've got nothing to live for in life, just remember these wise words. These wise words. He's Chevy Chase, and you're not. Oh, my God. And at the end of it, Chevy Chase got up to make his speech, and you could tell he was just like he got to, like it was almost like under his breath, like I've like I've never seen so many words from from about being addicted to drugs, from people who are addicted to drugs, yeah. whatever. Uh, and I read a magazine article a couple, a couple of years ago that actually right after that roast happened, him and Paul Schaefer went back to Chevy Chase's hotel room. And Chevy Chase just, he broke down. Like, he had a crisis of character in that moment. And it was like a personal reckoning of, like, what kind of person have I been? Oh, my gosh. That I got to this point in life that nobody I ever worked with likes me and nobody wants to be around me. Well, you know, it's funny to think that, too, though, because then he he was apparently a real jerk on community. I heard that too. Yeah. So, but so I guess it didn't. I guess the reckoning didn't last. The, the yeah. funny thing is, so going back to the episode real quick about how um, we get an episode with Bill Murray and Chevy Chase in the same episode of SNL, which never actually happened because uh, Murray was actually Chase's replacement. Is that Chevy Chase did visit SNL at one point while Murray was on the show, and there are many stories about what actually happened and how it actually happened. And Bill Murray has even gone on the record of saying it wasn't that big of a deal, and we're friends now. Um, which could all be bullshit because a lot of people say that that's not true and that Bill Murray's just trying to be nice about it. But apparently the story that I heard that I tend to think is actually true is that Chevy Chase went in and he was very insulting to a lot of the people on the show and that most of the people on the show were kind of just going along with it and being like, okay, it's just Chevy being Chevy. And so he insulted uh, um, Bill Murray's brother, Brian, and uh, and then apparently he he went too far on um, one of the women. Um, uh, 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 oh God, why can't I think of her name? I'm blanking on her name, and I can't believe I'm blanking on her name because she's uh, Gilda Radner. Apparently, he said something very disparaging about her, and Bill Murray had had enough, and he and he hit him. He he punched Chevy Chase, and he was like, you know what? Insult everybody on the show. Insult my brother. You insulted Gilda. Now, now enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and like I said, there's 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 a lot of varying stories that could be completely apocryphal, but but that's that's kind of how how I've read it before, and mm-hmm. uh, seems to have a grain of truth to it because other people have, 
you know, a lot of people have said that that's what happened. Um, in Bill Murray's own telling of it, he doesn't say anything about Gilda. He leaves her out of the story, but uh, other people say that that was what put him over the edge. Mm. Um, so anyway... Anyway, the, the, most, the most important part of this to the plot of this episode yes. <laughs> is that they show Chevy Chase as... Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford tripping all over himself because Gerald Ford did have a reputation for being a bit clumsy. A little bit of a klutz, yeah. And um, and then they start talking politics, mm-hmm. um, which is great because uh, Shannon proves herself very astute mm-hmm. because she immediately goes to talking about how uh, Carter could be the next president. And, and Sam is just like, you really think he's going to even win the nomination? And she's like, well, he won Illinois and, you know, starts rattling off all these facts. And, and clearly Sam is impressed. And you could, you could tell that Chris is starting to get a little jealous because Chris is just sort of like... Chad doesn't care about politics. Yeah, what yeah, the hell yeah, is yeah, going on really, here? Yeah, you know? yeah. And he even says that at one point. And Sam, of course, is not at all doing this. And you can tell that Shannon's not really interested either. Like, mm-hmm. she's just having a conversation. But Chris is starting to get a little jealous and worried. Oh, God. For, like, like, flashing back, from being on Chris's side of it before, it's like, yeah. I could... Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah, can, yeah. I can see why. Like, yeah. Well, that was the thing, you know, it's, it's like, it's not to get too much into personal stories, but, you know, being in the theater department in particular when you're in college, I mean, it gets rather incestuous no matter what. There's just no way to avoid it. Um, but the weird thing is, is when you have friends who are outside of that department and, and they can talk about things that aren't that related to that at all, like, I've totally seen that happen, you know, and I, and I, and I, I don't know that I've ever been in Chris's shoes, but I've certainly been someone in the room while someone in Chris's shoes was feeling that and mm-hmm. seeing it happen, mm-hmm. you know, and I've never necessarily been the one that was in like Chad's shoes, if you will, uh, in that particular situation, but just having seen when all of a sudden somebody can say something that someone else is interested in and just the idea that it's like, I don't know, I can't talk about this and mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just, this, yeah, this is when they, they realize I'm a fraud and they lose interest in me. Right. Right. And now they're, they're going home with that guy. Yeah. Ah, but anyway, so from here, I think uh, is this Sam goes to get a beer. Sam goes to get a beer, and this is when he sees Al on the balcony. balcony. Yes, and he in excuses his himself. A hundred percent. Chris is like, "Take your time." Ta- yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. A hundred percent virgin polyester yep. suit with the man bag. And, yeah, with the man bag, talking about how women loved his man bag, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got a cigar, and he is just. Yeah, it uh, goes on about how he used his space suit to pick women up, and then he didn't have to because he had this suit, and he was like, you know, the space program was behind me, Star Bright was ahead of me, and I was, you know, and mm-hmm. you just get this image of, of Al on the prowl, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, he's been an astronaut, he's been, a, you know, can I, can I say what else he's done? Because we get a hint of it. Sure. Okay. He's been to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's been an astronaut. He's, he's going on to do bigger and better things, clearly. He's going to be an admiral one day. At this time, he's probably like a captain already, you know. Mm. And, and you could just see Al in the 70s having a good time. Yeah. Well, and, and to not drop spoilers from what we learn. Uh, from other things we learned about Al's experience, like I wonder how much of that was a little like Ooh, yeah. re- like a little retroactive right assigning of glory days because also there had also been some really uh, not pleasant stuff that, that had recently happened to Al. Well, and I think that one of the things that uh, when we get down the road and we actually talk about what we're talking about right now, uh, it, it's interesting that one of the novels that was written after the series aired delves into a lot of the immediate aftermath of his experience in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I think that might provide us with uh, some avenues to discuss things. Um, Absolutely. And I love, yeah. I'm all for, and we've talked a little bit about this off mic, but I'm all for eventually um, 
you know, bringing the novels into play mm. um, and, and, and some of the other stuff that's out there because I think that it's, the TV show's easily accessible. The books, you can find them if you look for them, but they're not as easily accessible. So it might be fun to talk a little bit about that and see what people are thinking, mm-hmm. you know, um, get them to go out and buy a used copy. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the balcony scene. Yeah, so they, um, so they talk a little bit more about Tom or Sam. Like, oh, do you remember, did, did I ever tell you that, that, that Tom was the one who talked me into going into going to MIT and, and, and Al. And you can tell that Al, and again, this is Stockwell's performance throughout the episode. Al is, he's kind of, he, it's like, I'm on eggshells here. What does he remember? Mm-hmm. How much does he well, remember? The, I mean, there's even a great moment where Sam is looking back inside and Al has his back to him and Sam yeah. goes, how did he die? And I was like, who? Yeah. And Sam's like, Chris. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I, uh, like I said, I, I, says, this, I haven't seen this episode the, in a while, so I forgot that they The had specific it. line is, Al, how was he killed? Okay. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah, the look on Al's face. Mm-hmm. And, he, and again, he, he plays it so well that mm-hmm. I feel like if you're watching this for the very first time and didn't know it was coming, you might not even pick up on it. Mm-hmm. But once you know, if you go back and watch it again, it's just like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Like, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um... And yeah, Stockwell, in fact, I even wrote in my notes, I didn't write Al, I wrote Stockwell's care and watching of Sam about the brother stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it is just so well done uh, in this in this scene. Um, and yeah, so so then he says, you know, Chris, and then and then what comes next? You, you, you know, I don't know. I don't have my notes in front of me now. I think we're, it, it's just Al reiterates the fact, like, they, they still don't know how. That, okay. Yeah. He's still that, working with Oh, yeah, right, because there's the, 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 the handling but, thing. Yeah, the handling thing. Yeah, and this is where we get, like, the more interesting oh, the noises, sound effects yeah. from uh, handling. But then this is where we find out that, that Sam has a stunt mm-hmm. tomorrow, the next day, on the set of Earthquake. Earthquake. This is one of the things, like, you talked about earlier, like, they were all over the place with dates. Earthquake came out in 1974. Yeah. So this was, like, two years after the fact. But, hey, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you fudge it. You fudge it a little bit. So, um, and he knows it's going to be a fall. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know... How far of a fall? Yeah, and when he gets Just to the fall. set, yeah, it's like it's and, and if I'm not mistaken, the actual fall that was used in the film set the record for the highest fall of a stuntman at like 220 feet or something like that. Well, good job, Sam Beckett. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, and so the funny, I guess, the, to add on to that is that the because of the way that the, the shot and the camera and everything. They have estimated that it would have actually been about a 500 foot fall. So Sam would have like really set the record. Okay. Um, but it's this, there's this wonderful moment because Sam's clearly nervous as hell, mm-hmm. doesn't want to go through this. And then this woman walks up to him. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Sam doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. And the woman's not too happy about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody yells, Action! Yeah. The next thing you know, yeah, she, she shoves, pushing him yeah, over. Yeah, she shoves him. He jumps. I love that Al is still in the suit yep. from the night before. He's still got his man bag. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's pushed over, and so like he's hanging on for dear life. And, and this is where we get some nice intercutting of stock footage from the actual movie yeah. and and Quantum Leap. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I will say, and I meant to mention this earlier, actually, I feel like the first season it looks good. On Blu-ray, 
The second season, man, I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's just because they were shooting on something different or what, but it looks so much better than the first season on Hmm. Blu-ray. Like, there's something about certain scenes in the Blu-ray so far in season two, and this episode and the next episode in particular, that are so, like, crystal clear. Hmm. Whereas the first season, there's a little bit of fuzz, a little bit of grain, a little bit of, you know, and I'm not trying to say that this is the like a reference disc for Blu-ray. It's clearly not, but it looks so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that in particular with this particular scene because the earthquake footage and the quantum leap footage just look really good side by side together. Mm-hmm. And one of the best moments of the episode, in, mm-hmm. a, in an episode that is filled with really good moments, Al looks over and sees Lauren Green mm-hmm. and immediately goes, Ben! Cartwright, yes, and he's like Sam, and it's that's great. That was in, in the promo commercial. That's one of the moments that they use. Was, oh yeah, uh, which was uh, an interesting, weird connection that that you may not remember, but I, I have this uh, fuzzy memory in my brain. Uh, a few months after Quantum Leap ended, mm-hmm. one of the first things I saw Dean Stockwell in was in a, I would call it a Bonanza reunion movie. Oh god! Except by that point, all of the main Actors had had passed away from mm. the series, and the one uh, actor who was still alive, Pearl Roberts, he had no interest in coming back. Oh man! And so it was a Bonanza reunion movie that uh, basically it was like the Next Generation. Okay. And uh, Michael Landon's son came in and played Michael Landon's characters from the show. Played his son. Okay. Uh, the actor who played Hoss Hoss on the show, his yeah. son came back and played his son, and the villain of the movie was played by Dean Stockwell. Wow. Wow. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny though, because I do remember a time there, uh, you know, in the, in the late eighties, not so, I mean, yes, I guess, but early nineties in particular, when there were a lot of those reunion movies. Oh God. Yeah. The fact Rockford even, Files, Columbo, uh, uh, six million dollar man and bionic woman. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. And there was also, um, a, I think it was the fourth, movie, perhaps, of the Gambler franchise with Kenny Rogers. Oh, yes. It was either the fourth or the fifth, where the opening scene, and I remember, I can remember specifically, uh, the ads for the telemovie leading up to it were focusing on the fact that they were having all of these actors, because in the opening scene, they had all of these actors from Western TV shows in the 60s reprising their roles, so you had, like, Bat Masterson, Paladin... Uh, yes, uh, like, uh, the rifleman. Yeah, the rifleman. Like all of these guys were basically, but they were only in like the first like five minutes, and then the rest of the movie was just Kenny. That's Rogers. right. Yeah, but but I just remember like at, at the time how it was kind of a big deal, and I remember my dad watching it. My dad had been a huge fan of those shows as a kid and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's interesting though that 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 like the, this weird nostalgia bonanza next generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was, and all I remember for that movie is like uh, Dean Stockwell's character was introduced. He was riding on a train, and he was like a, a richer, well-to-do person. And he's reading a newspaper, and somebody gives him a piece of bad news, and Dean Stockwell says, "Get out!" Oh God! And it's yeah, wasn't one of one of Dean Stockwell's. Well, finer, finer roles. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, he did some really great work very early in his career. There's no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. I think Quantum Leap is probably, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's good in Galactica, mm-hmm. you know, but but I, but even like Married to the Mob and like all these other things that he had done around the same time or after Quantum Leap, I don't find anything that's nearly as iconic as Al. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, uh, which is wanna... funny because Lord Green was also 
on the original TV Battle version Star of Battlestar Galactica. And another weird yeah. connection. Um, so Earthquake was released. Uh, I don't know if you saw this in your search. It was called Sense Surround. Yes. Yeah. This, this was a gimmick that they were doing in the seventies. Can I can I can I break in real quick? I just want to I just want to say something to our listeners. Uh, there's a little background noise right now that you're probably picking up, and that's from the the heater here. Uh, I, I'm not gonna turn it off because it's like 30 degrees outside right now in Chicago, so uh, we need a little heat to warm us up here at Project Quantum Leap. But I do apologize for the background noise if it interferes with your listening pleasure. Oh. Bear with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah that kicked out. I didn't hear it. Yeah, no uh, but yeah, so speaking of sense around and surround sound, yeah, right. there was this gimmick called sense around where. It was basically what we would think of surround sound now, but they were taking it seriously so that, like, theater seats actually shook to the point that one of the reasons why they stopped using these is that, one, it was so intensive they had to take a couple of rows of seats out to install the equipment, and two, it was actually shaking apart plaster in the theaters. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So, Earthquake was one movie that they used this for. Yeah. And when they did the theatrical release of the TV movie for Battlestar Galactica. No way. I think that was one of the last times they used that that's, system. That's great. That's great. I had no idea. Yeah. And, well, I, one of the things I, I can I can remember, too, um, growing up uh, on AMC in particular uh, as a kid, they would air a lot of these films usually, like, in sequence, so you'd see like Airport 72 and Earthquake and the Poseidon Adventure and the Tower and Inferno all in one like eight hour block. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and sitting there watching those films like with my grandfather or something like that. And the, the Tower and Inferno in particular was one I always really liked. But you got Steve McQueen and Paul Newman, so couldn't be couldn't that be. That was all probably one I, I saw <laughs> when I was a kid, but yeah. but yeah, that was it. But anyway, um, so there's this there's this great moment where Al's you know fanboying out, if you will, over Lauren Green, mm-hmm. uh, and and Sam's hanging on for dear life, mm-hmm. uh, but eventually, of course, he slips and falls. As his fall, um, you know, one of the things that's fun to point out, of course, is that naturally, the scene as it plays out in the episode not only would have taken place two years prior to the episode, but there's no way that Lauren Green would have actually been 200-some feet up in the air trying to reach for a stuntman. Oh, God, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. but hey, it's a fun scene. It's really great. It's a fun scene, and I love this stuff I completely forgotten, and I would not be surprised if this is a scene that is cut out in rerun syndication, mm-hmm. was when, when he gets to the bottom and lands on the map, the, the woman who pushed him off yeah. Yeah. comes up, and she has the line... Uh, once a screamer, always a screamer. Yeah. Kisses him on the cheek and, and takes off. Which it's also funny because one of the things, and this might actually be in Matt's book, uh, <laughs> is that Sam falls through this glass into this, you know, uh, um, safety mat or whatever they're called, a uh, crash mat. Uh, mm-hmm. And and yet, where did the woman fall Yeah, I, Yeah, like, it, that, that just <laughs> crossed my mind right now. I was like, where, where did yeah. Don't think, don't think about it too no, hard. right, right, right. Um, and so, uh, obviously Sam's all right. He's, he's a little shaken up by this. He's a little bit like, you know, and it's great because the father, like Ray is very much like, you know, everything okay. And it's just another moment we get of Ray's respect and admiration for his oldest son Mm -hmm. while he is still kind of on the fence, it seems about his youngest son. 
and his youngest son's manhood. Uh, I don't know if on the fence. Well, maybe yeah, but okay. but but we'll get to, we'll get to yeah, yeah that when they reveal the dad's motivations later on. I'm not, it, it is not the most deeply written. Right. Uh, they they give a little bit more explanation later on in the episode, but well, the thing is, is like I. Well, let's just get there, because we're not that far from it. So basically, uh, we, you know, get to this moment where um, Sam is talking with, with Tracy and gets Tracy to uh, hook Chris up with a spot on an amateur night at a, at a bar mm-hmm. uh, to play some music, and uh, obviously they want Ray to be there as well. Um, Shannon's there, you know, we're at the bar, uh, and... Chris is like, you know, where's dad? And 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 Sam is like, I'll go find him. He walks over to the other side of the bar. Mm-hmm. Dad's sitting there drinking, has been drinking all afternoon. Yeah. What I love is, like, they do one of those things. I don't remember. and Maybe we'll see later in future episodes. They have, obviously, a prop bottle of beer yeah. that is beer. Yeah. That's what it says. Yeah. <laughs> it's just beer. Well, and earlier, too, it was funny because earlier during the scene where they're watching SNL, uh, there's this moment of... Um, uh, there's a soda can on on the uh, table that is clearly a Pepsi can, but it has been designed to be soda. Whereas some of these other bottles of beer are clearly Budweiser bottles, mm-hmm. but they just say beer. beer. <laughs> that oh, I hate it when when TV series. Yeah. Do that. I, I understand. I I don't know the mechanics of it. I'm sure that there's got to be. Oh yeah. You know, but there's always a thing like. I'm looking at your, your MacBook right now. Right. It's like when it's obviously a MacBook book, they put something over, over the, the Apple, Apple yeah. so that you so that you don't see it. Well, and, and anytime, like, this has always been one of my pet peeves. Anytime a character walks into a bar and they just order the drink by saying, I'll have a beer or yeah. I'll have a whiskey, mm-hmm. it, you can't go into a bar and say that. I mean, if you go into a bar and say, I'll have a beer, especially nowadays with all the craft beer choices, they're going to look at you and be like, well, what do you want? Yeah, what yeah. kind of beer like do you what? want? Yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. um, and and even back in the day when there might have only been three choices on tap, they're still going to be like, what, you want Schlitz? You want Bud? You want Coors? Like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. You know, you come and you say you want whiskey, it's like, great, you want Jack, Jim, Johnny Walker, you know, and, and so it's, yeah, it's, but I mean, that's just a convention. We're all used to it by now. It's mm-hmm. silly to, to, to quibble about something like that, which has no effect whatsoever. On but anyway, yeah. But, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, I, I think we learn a little bit more of motivation yes. here, is that uh, their their mother passed away, and apparently from Ray's point of view, the mother coddled Chris, and Ray is being a hard-ass well, because he thinks being a hard-ass is going to turn him into a man. Yes, and, and the, thing, the other piece uh, that we get there is that they divorced when Chris was still young. Because he says, ever since you know, I divorced your mother and she raised Chris. So you get this idea. Ah, that's right. Yes. That like that 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 either Chad was old enough at the time, or 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 Chad went with Ray and Chris went with the mother. Whatever the case might have been. So so I think that yeah, like you say, he's being a hard ass. He's doing the you know put your, put up your Duke son, you know all that sort of shit that we've seen. Um, and it's like you know looking at Ray and seeing Ray sitting there at the bar in particular and having his drinks and being a little drunk and all. It's like I know that guy. You know, I know that guy. I know the put up your dukes guy. I know the guy who's afraid of his son being too, you know, girly or artsy or whatever the case may be. And and and, and it's um, again, I, I think that for the purposes of a forty-seven minute long television episode, it works really, really well. But maybe it is a little thin. You know, if we if we had to give it a knock, it's like it's like oh okay, we got our little info dump. This is why the father is the way that he is. Um, 
but it, I mean, it works, and Sam clearly immediately is just sort of like, okay, this is this is how it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get Chris just wailing on guitar. Yeah. Uh, with a full band behind him who know the song he's playing, well, by the uh, way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the it's the Back to the Future contrivance of just give him a little information right, and, right. And, the, and the band just takes off. Just follow me for the changes. I um, was looking up, I wanted to, to make sure, like, I was fairly confident that this is a song that does not actually... It does it, not. It, it does not actually exist out in the world. No. So I, I wanted to confirm that. I looked up. There are... From what I say, that there are a fair number of Quantum Leap fans who have been on message boards, like trying to find out who originally yeah. sang the song and found a, a version of it. But no one can. From what I can tell, like yeah, this was a song that was written specifically for this episode. So I, in in my Google search for the same exact information that you were looking for, uh, I came across multiple sites that listed the writer of this song as Dean Stockwell. I'm not joking. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if if I don't know. I, All I know I, is, is I that get there the impression were... from other things I've seen because there's another episode later on, not to give spoilers away, where Dean Stockwell sinks. Oh yeah. And from what I understand from hearing stories around that is that Dean Stockwell has a lot of talents, but music is not. Well, one we of see them. in Kamikaze Kid too when he's singing. Um, uh, Oh, what's Let this? it be uh, me. Let it be me. Yeah, it's like clearly he can't. Sing. He has a lot of talents. That is not it. The interesting thing is, is he hung out with a group of people. Uh, I think that they were called like the Topanga Canyon Crew or something like that. And one of the people that he hung out with in the '60s and early '70s was none other than Neil Young. Now, I'm not saying that any of that songwriting rubbed off on him or anything, but it is just interesting that a couple of the websites I came across listed him as the writer. Now, maybe they listed him as the writer because he was in the episode. I don't know. Whatever. It's, yeah. just, it's what I saw, so I can't verify that. I wish I knew. It'd be great to know. But I did take note of a couple of the lyrics. Out of time. Too late. My mistake. I'm just another stranger looking for the promised land. And clearly whoever wrote the song, whoever yeah. wrote this song, I think that there had to have been a little bit of knowledge about this is a show about a guy who's traveling through For time. For sure, yeah, listening you know? to the lyrics, I, I didn't, yeah, I did not make that connection. The lyrics aren't as on the nose as, say, Fate's Wide Wheel <laughs> from, from the third season. No, they are not. Um... I, I also watched this wondering, and, and I didn't bother looking it up, if, it, if it's the actual actor who is singing that. Can't be. Uh, right? I can't it, be. It, it seems... Uh, it, it, very, it, it very much puts me in mind of when Michael J. Fox sings Johnny Be Good. Yeah, but I and, even buy that more than I bought this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, well, first of all, clearly he's not playing the guitar. At all. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. They, they have literally this, just moving his yeah. hand up and yeah. down. They, the they, they have the wonderful close-up at the beginning of the song, yeah. his back to the crowd, and I was like, yeah, that, that's obviously a stunt person. And then right. when they turn around, it's... I almost wish that uh, that for the for the shot of him singing, like, if they would have brought the camera up to not even show his hands. Yeah. Because it is so... Because, like, juxtaposed, like, like the very skilled work that the... That the guitar person did right. in the shot just previous, and just watching him just like moving his his yeah. hand up and down, like right. No, it's it's. Uh, but that said, it's but, it's, it's but great that being said, it's 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 a great song. Shannon is obviously uh, very very enamored with 
with him. Sam is super proud, and then the dad walks in, and immediately it's like, ah, oh, this isn't gonna be uh, And, like, he walks up closer, and he's got that surly, drunken look on his face, and, you know, and, 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 and Chris gets a great round of applause, smashing performance, everybody loves it, it's performance of the night, uh, but dad just ain't happy. Yeah. You know, and dad comes at him hard. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, because we have this, like, little, yeah, we have this little scene afterwards where... Where, where Sam tries to get like something out of him and say, hey, why don't you say that you're proud of him? And, yeah. And they have this back and forth, which eventually ends with Chris punching Dad. Right. And then Ray hard. has that line after Chris leaves. He's like, you know, it's, it's lucky you were holding me back. And yeah. Sam's like, it's lucky he didn't hit you again. Or, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Lucky he only threw him one punch. Right, yeah. So, so, yeah. And then, of course, Chris goes off in a huff. And immediately calls the director of Disco Inferno. That's it, yeah. And I, yeah. And I think, like, Shannon is there in that scene, like, she's just kind of, like, watching helplessly, helplessly, and just like, ah, crap. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, after this, you know, we, we get arguably the, the scene of the episode where, uh, you know, Al is there and, and, um, and Sam is, you know, struggling with, you know, what can he do? And, and and he's talking about how you know Tom like did this for him, and then all of a sudden he's like, "But I can't remember." Well, he said like uh, by the time I realized Tom was looking out for me, it was too late because, because bam, yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and then, he remembers. And his realization uh, of Tom being dead, and the look on his face, and Al's reaction. Mm-hmm. I, it, it just it, it just lands so well. Yeah, and I knew this was moment. I knew this moment was coming. I steeled myself up, and I still teared up at this scene. You know, the funny thing is, is I didn't at this one, and I and I, I thought I would honestly, and maybe that's why I didn't. Who knows? Yeah, but I but I thought I would, but I didn't. Uh, it still hit me, you know, pretty pretty hard. But uh, yeah, for some reason, it didn't get there. But one of the things that I was thinking about, and in our more modern parlance, and certainly since. I think we, we talk about it more like this since, you know, X-Files and Buffy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to modern times. If we were to talk about Quantum Leap in the same way that we started talking about TV after, like, those two shows, mm-hmm. this episode would clearly be, like, an arc episode. Like one of the... Yeah. The you know, yeah. Episodes, yeah. And, 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 and it's interesting because... I don't. Ne- we don't know how much was part of the plan because this is something that they haven't really talked a lot about when they talk about the show. Um, but I think just to put it in our modern context for a moment, this just seems like something that they knew was going to happen from the get-go. And the reason I say that is 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 threefold. One, as we mentioned earlier, the leaps into Tom's. Mm-hmm. Two, the mentions and the treatment of Vietnam. Which also leads me to believe something about Al that we'll get to later. And then three, why the hell is Sam doing what he's doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that getting this information, the way that it's handled, and the sensitivity which is handled, uh, it just it just lands really, really hard. And and again, Jess, as soon as as soon as Sam realized it, Jess sat there and she was like, Oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. And then when Al confirms it was in Vietnam, that's when she was like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. And it was interesting to me that someone who was watching it for the first time picked up on the fact that, oh, yeah, his brother's dead. 
it wasn't a throwaway necessarily, but when the moment occurred, when it actually got confirmed on screen, it wasn't like, oh my god, that's terrible. But the fact of how he died mm. landed on her the way that it did. Which, that's interesting. Yeah, which conveyed a certain bit of power, I think, and, and made me think that sometimes, you know, that's that can be the successful execution of drama. It's not necessarily what happens so much as how it happens. Because I think that in some ways when when what happens is telegraphed, you start to anticipate it. Mm-hmm. And then when you learn how it happened, that can be more important. Exactly. So on that note, I thought about this earlier, but I wanted to wait until the actual reveal of like how Tom came to be killed. Yeah. Is that one of the novels, and I can't remember which one, throws out the idea that as much of a Boy Scout and altruistic as Sam is, the real reason why he created a time machine to begin with was to go back and stop his brother from mm. getting killed in Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, hence why the first episode, he leaps into a guy named Tom. Yeah. Who's in the military. Right, right. So that's an interesting note. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, I mean, there could, uh, there, there could be some validity to that. I think that regardless of whether or not that was ever, you know, Belisario's intent, uh, that ultimately it's the, you know, inferred inciting event, if you will, for, mm-hmm. for, for Sam to do that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, it's just, it, the moment as a whole is handled really well. Um, but then we get to, uh, we segue from this into Chris and Shannon showing up at the set. Oh, yes. So and, we get that uh, moment that you were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Ugh. What a douchebag director. There's a great moment where she, where he shakes Shannon's hand and yeah. the way Shannon pulls the hand away. Yeah, like you could literally just see her like wiping her hand off yeah. later, and you just, know? You know, like what you referenced earlier that everything that that is happening right now in our yeah. culture with put in the best shorthand possible, like the Me Too movement. Right. Yes, that's the the first thing that popped into my... Shannon is my, hopping on Twitter and hashtagging Me pop, Too. Yeah. Pop, <laughs> my, yes. And I don't uh, mean to make light of it, I'm just saying. No, like, no, no, yeah. yeah that's, well, like, I mean, also, as I was watching this episode last night, I was on Facebook, and there's another, I won't say his name, but there's another very prominent theater person who has recently stepped down mm. from his position of leadership because of sexual harassment claims. Specifically, what put it in my mind watching this episode is that when this news story broke yeah. on, I, I think it was performing, and not just last night, but two days ago, maybe, someone commented, was, someone commented like, yeah, I was intru- introduced to him a few years ago, and like right out of the gate, he started hitting on me, ah. and it was gross. Ah. And I had that in mind as I watched this scene right. with, with the director in Shannon. It was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Because I think even oh. he, he calls her like like a sweetheart, or he, he calls her like oh yeah, he calls her some name that. And he's like, no, and the way he looks at her, it's like he's dressing her with his eyes, and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, he's practically salivating over the prospect of this young woman being in front of him. It's yeah, it's it's pretty gross. Uh, that said, it's it's perfect for the episode. Yeah. Um. And 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 the, again, the way that she pulls her hand away is, is perfect. Um. And then, meanwhile, cut that with Sam showing up at work, wherever work is the next day. Yeah. Him and him and Ray are talking, 
and basically just in talking back and forth and having an argument, that's... It's, it's like one of those very cliche moments that happens in any hour of television where just talking about something, something comes out and they re, there's like the reveal. Like they get the, the epiphany of of what happened or where the character is now. So, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this is how is, they figure yeah. out that, that, that Chris is trying to prove himself by doing the the fire stunt right at disco inferno and uh and you know they i I think that sam and ray do they they have uh, a good moment there where you know clearly ray is not it's what i appreciate about the 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 epiphany moment if you will is it's not an epiphany for ray like ray is not having a change of heart like ray is still this hard ass who thinks that chris is you know what i mean oh yeah that's kind of nice because i think in some in some versions of this episode what would happen is is that they would have the argument and not only would they be like, oh no, we have to go save Chris, Ray would also have the moment of like, oh darn it, I should have let him play guitar. And that's not what happens, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do go off to try to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. oh god, I mean, we gotta save Chris. Another, which... another note in here, this is kind of a tangent, Sam's outfits in these episodes... <laughs> on point. On one hand, yeah, they are on point, they are very 70s, but it occurred to me, like, if I was walking down... Belmont yeah. here in Chicago and I cross paths with a guy wearing those outfits I would not I would not look twice yeah there's a couple of outfits in the sh- in the episode I do I completely agree that, that they that yeah it just it doesn't feel right it, I mean no I feel like they, they were authentic to the time yes, but also you. like those particular fashions have come, have back, come back around right I wouldn't think twice seeing those guys walking down the street although the outfits. outfit that he's wearing in the final scene which we'll get to in a moment I, if I saw somebody wearing that I'd think that they were in a movie or a play you know okay. I mean? I'd be yeah. like yeah you're, you're an actor or something but anyway um Oh so they, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they so they so they rush off to get to the set, which cuts us back to uh, the director who is clearly in a hurry, doesn't give a shit about anything. He wants to get this scene on the road. Uh, Chris is, is is clearly kind of out of sorts. You know, he even takes a while when the director asks him if he's ready. Like, you know, uh, sure. If I don't even think he verbally responds, I think he just gives like a thumbs up or something like that. The one of the producers is saying something like, "Shouldn't we do the rehearsal?" Well, and the like, like, "Ah, we'll shoot the rehearsal." Yeah. yeah. And, and so clearly it's like, this guy doesn't care about Chris, he doesn't care about safety, he doesn't care about, you know, he just wants to get this done. Um, and obviously things go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Chris is trapped. Uh, there are flames everywhere. Um, you know, Ray wants to rush in. That's my son. That's my son. Sam gets them. To, Shannon tries rushing in. Someone pulls her back. Yeah. Sam gets them to hold them back and then Sam goes in. Mm-hmm. And then we have this really, you know... I think I wrote this out. Yeah, um, Al helping him walking through the flames and everything. It was cool stuff. And I can remember, like, as a kid, like, seeing that. It was like, oh, that's great. Obviously, today, the special effects are very dated. For sure. But, I mean, there's one shot where, we're like, where Al is, like, very, like, he is lit by his surroundings. He's very dark. And then when they have, like, the hologram moment of the pillar falling through him, like, oh, whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. he is very, he is very lit up. The one thing I then, noticed about Al in the scene. Trying to light the cigar? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's trying to light a cigar. <laughs> Yeah, uh, God, it's great. But but it, it's another one of those moments that um, plays a little bit like um, Seymour, played in Seymour, where, where Al is, like, using his, you know, hologram abilities and, and his voice to lead Sam to Chris and, mm-hmm. you know, and help get them out. And, um, you know, eventually Sam finds him. He's pinned under something. He gets it off his leg. They, they get Chris out. And, 
you know, save the day and and, yeah. uh, and Al continues to sing of always showing up a couple minutes after the class. Okay. Like you could have been here ten minutes earlier to like give us a heads up of yeah. what's happening. Right. Can't ziggy zoo. Yeah. You could have come through and told us before, you know, yeah. Um but then uh But if Al did his job the way he should, like we would have nearly exciting a show. We'd have all the we'd always have all the action pieces taken care of before Absolutely before before we even get to them. They wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't exist. Al would just show up and tell them what was going to happen and prevent it and, yeah. you know. Thank you for being incompetent, uh, Al and Ziggy. So, uh, we get back to the apartment and uh, Sam is still trying to figure out, like, why the hell haven't I, haven't I left out of here? And what's interesting is I, I had thought about this until I was reading the, the, the Quantum Wiki summation of the episode, is we are probably several days later at this point. Sure. Because this is not just an injury where he just, you know, went to the hospital and got patched up. We're probably looking close to a week out. Yeah. So it's an interesting perspective. Like, we don't see a lot of leaps where Sam just gets to hang out for a few days. That's true. That's true. Uh, and when... Uh, so, yeah. So they're 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 watching TV in the... Uh, I think they're, they're watching a, a, a news... A news event like showing. We're watching a game. Watching like a, oh, that's that's right. Yeah, basketball game, aren't they? That's right. They're they're watching a game. Uh, but then, but then something happens to where like you know they said they're going to have something from the president later. That's right. They're going to cut away. Yeah. Sam goes to the kitchen to get beers, and it's at this point that Al shows up again. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I didn't get choked up when Sam had the revelation that Tom was dead. I got choked up when. Al shows him the picture. Ah, that okay. got me. Which is weird because the picture is horrible. Like <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, it's just like Scott Bakula with kind of longer hair. Right. I don't think the actor. Uh, to give a minor spoiler away, eventually we do meet Tom. Right. As a character. Yes. I don't think the 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 person in the picture no. is that actor, but they obscure his face enough with a cap where you can. I thought the same. Buy thing. it. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same exact thing. Um... But but yeah, that that moment did get me a little choked up, and and in particular the moment when Sam reaches for the photo, but he can't, mm. you know, obviously can't grab it because it's it's a hologram too, um, and uh, and Sam even has this line about how, um, and I think it's actually before Al shows him the picture, um, Sam has this great line which leads credence to what you were just saying about how he's been there for a while about mm. how he. This, it makes him feel homesick. Yeah, sometimes like like he he feels all alone, and, and I have a feeling like him and him and Al haven't talked since the yeah since the I, day of the the event of the fire either. Like right, yeah. Well, and then Sam though has the very telling line mm-hmm. where he says, "Maybe I'll leap all the way back." Yes, and Al's like, "Back," you know? Don't you mean? And Sam's like, "Well, of course," or or for it. To yeah. me, like it's it's one of those like awkward. Scenes where they like they don't really know what to say to each other, and mm-hmm. it's like watching the scene. Like I, I wondered, uh, like how much of the awkwardness was intended by the writer, and how much of it just wasn't great writing. And Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, like they by making it kind of awkward, they turned the writing better into what it. Maybe I don't know though because there is this nice moment too where you know where Al's like you know you got me mm-hmm. and and it's great too because playing off of the last episode where there's the potential for Al to never be around again and Sam to be completely on his own you know now now Al's sitting there like hey you got me you know you'll you'll always have me and and it's interesting too because Sam almost 
I don't want to say Sam's taking him for granted, but at the same time, there is there is a little element of 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 you get the sense that maybe that's not good enough for Sam. You know, I'm not saying that that's true. I, I I think that Sam and Al clearly their relationship is extremely important. It's 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 integral to everything, and I think that there's genuine love between the two of them. But I just think that in this particular moment, Sam, as we've talked about before, can be a little selfish from time to time. And I think that this might be one of those moments where that awkwardness comes into play of Sam sort of being like, yeah, of course I've got you. I know I've got you, but I need more than that. Um, and it's just, it's just a really nice moment. Well, also, it just occurred to me. I mean, just think about even if you don't have a mission or something to do, like a lab to say, just think about how mentally taxing it would be to just try to live a life that's not yours and just be normal from day to day and know things that you're expected to know when you don't. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a nice little vacation in the past. But Sam was also clear he hates this decade. Right, right. So, maybe. Uh, another <laughs> Speaking thing, of knowing things. Yes. Before we get there, I okay. love uh, one of the props in the background behind Al in the scene, fastened to the wall next to the fridge, is a Rappomatic. Which I assume, like I, I was going to look it up and I ran out of time. I assume it was like a, a, an easy way to saran wrap things for leftovers, but it was right. just like a thing attached to the wall. And I was just like, kudos to the props department right, for just, just having that nice little extra thing in the background. I, I, I love it. I, that's great. I love it so much that I am looking it up right now. Uh, yeah, automatic sheeting machine. I don't know. I don't know. Shrink wrap equipment. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was interesting. That. So anyway, so knowing things. Uh, so yeah, they, they oh, kind of wait. Sorry, I got to go back real quick because this is almost too perfect. The patent, the trademark, was filed by Rosenthal Manufacturing Company in April of 1975. So that would have been a pretty big deal to have one. They were, <laughs> were on they the cutting were, edge. There. They were right on. They were right on top of in that. the Stone household. Mm-hmm. Um, in Burbank, California. But, as but you anyway, say, so they, they've cut away from the game, and uh, so they're showing Gerald Ford arriving. I'm not sure what exactly where. And so Al, like, oh, yeah, I remember this. He trips down the stairs. Which is great because it reinforces kind of what I was talking about earlier with um, Ray not having turned the corner on Chris at all, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice, is that um, Sam is sort of like, you know, no, he should be a musician. And, mm-hmm. and Ray's just sort of like, ah, I don't know. And that's when, you know... Sam's like, you're sure? And, and and I was like, yeah. And that's when Sam makes the bet. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah. If he trips down the stairs, you get behind him becoming a musician. If not, I'll get behind him becoming a stuntman. And Chris has this moment of like, hey, hey my, my future. My, my life here. <laughs> um, and then, of course, <laughs> Sam has a moment of doubt where he looks at Al. And it's like, oh, like yeah, you, you sure? Really, and and like, Al's I'm like, pretty sure. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But of course he does trip down uh, the stairs mm-hmm. and um, they all get a laugh out of our dear President Ford yeah. uh, falling down the stairs and now Chris gets to be mm-hmm. a musician um, and... There's no even words. I, I forgot like how quickly the episode ends after that. Like there, There's no words. There's no confirmation. There's just Sam gets up and the, a, a shot that has up. become iconic Yeah, does, does the little uh, thumbs up. And, and, and he and he leaps out. I love the uh, not a very popular meme because quantum leap isn't as much out there as other things. But there there is a meme that I've seen, and actually I have saved on my phone to use whenever I like. But it's that shot of Sam with the thumbs up, yeah, mid leap, 
and there's a caption on it that says, one like, and I'm out of here. Nice. That's awesome. I love it. Well, um, one thing also that I will say is that uh, Jessica, who uh, I don't think actually watched Honeymoon Express, um, so this may be why, but she noticed immediately the difference in the leap. She was like, oh, that's different, because the leap out effect has changed from season one. Mm-hmm. Yes. In season one, it's just it's just him, mm-hmm. pretty much. And now, from now on, it will be, it starts on him and fades out to the entire screen and then back in. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting for her to have seen that for the first and time. And they, like, they the put difference. the electricity through where almost it was like just like a photo negative blowing up. Now, yeah. now they have the electricity. Right, right. Out. Um, and now he's, uh, as Sam says, I've leapt into Popeye. He's into Popeye. Yeah. So some stray thoughts, observations I had. Go for it. Uh, disco in general was pretty much at the height of its popularity in 1976. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, at the time people considered it, I wrote this down, uh, this is from Roger Ebert, and he's going to pop up in our next episode as well. I miss Roger Ebert. Yeah. So there's, there's still times that I remember, like, oh, there are not new Roger Ebert reviews. My tattoo, out. my tattoo that I have, the Keep mm-hmm. the Faith, my mom bought me a Roger Ebert book, uh, a film, for Christmas. This is probably 1995, I want to say, so mm-hmm. I'm 14. And um, she wrote an inscription on it and, um, you, you know, talking about me, like, following my passions and my dreams and everything. And she signed off with Keep the Faith. And uh, I, I, I actually, I got this tattoo when I was, like, 34. I waited that long to get it. Um, but she died when I was 20. And so uh, that, that had just always stuck with me. And I took the inscription to the tattoo parlor. They made a copy of it. And so that's her handwriting on the tattoo. Oh, that's really neat. But, uh, but Roger Ebert is, 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 is very much missed. I, I knew that entire and, story um, except for, like, what book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he had written that, that disco was an escape from the general depression and drabness of the political and musical, the, of the political and musical atmosphere of the, of the late 70s. And the day that Disco died is credited to July 12th, 1979. There was a Disco Demolition Night at Kaminsky Park here in Chicago. Do you know this? I I do, actually, yeah. Um, I had no idea. I was just, like, looking up general information about Disco. Yeah. And apparently, like, a a pretty good riot broke out. It's at that... Yeah, that whole scene, it's kind of crazy. And it's funny because Sam does have a line, we didn't mention this earlier, about how, uh, you know, all the the disco dancers would turn into urban cowboys, Mm -hmm. which has multiple meanings because, A, I mean, I think that that's just true in the broader sense of things. B, when you look at Saturday Night Fever and then Urban Cowboy being the movie that John Travolta you know, would go on to after Saturday Fever and the disco to the urban cowboy thing. And so it's a, it was a funny line for a couple of reasons, but um, it is a fascinating time because there is, uh, I think, looking back on the 70s, we now pull things from it that, you know, like, oh, well, Bob Dylan wrote Blood on the Tracks in 1975. Oh, punk music was coming out in 77 to 78. And, you know, but we don't celebrate disco you know we don't we don't look back on the 70s and be like oh disco oh let's have a return you know that. like when people and when people try to talk about how great the Bee Gees are or whatever I just want to be like no get the fuck out of here <laughs> I'm sorry I'm so sorry but I'm just like no uh, no 
I'm not saying there's not good musicianship. I'm not saying that there's not interesting voices, but that music means nothing to me. Fair, <laughs> fair enough. This was not. I also reminded. Uh, I only saw this once years ago. The the disco episode of The Incredible Hulk. My did, God! Did you yeah. ever watch that show? All, I have it on DVD. All, all, all I remember <laughs> is like like for that episode, like they had a disco version of the of the Incredible Hulk theme. Uh, anyway yeah by the way I have to say uh, short digression Um, in Thor Ragnarok one of my favorite moments of the film let's see if you can spot it is they do at one point actually play strains of the lonely man theme from the Incredible Hulk TV show yeah I will have to I will have to check that out yeah yeah Yeah. that is something uh that's a show. Whenever I try to go back to watch it, it doesn't. Only a few episodes hold yeah. up. Yeah, and uh, but still, like 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 the Lonely Man theme. Oh yeah, yeah. It's still locked in. Like anytime I'm walking down the street and I just have the backpack like thrown over yep. one shoulder, like there's a part in the back of my head where I hear that. Yeah, that oh, theme there. I loved that show with with a passion. Watched the TV movies when I was a kid. Oh like, yes, it was yeah. Not in syndication. I can remember sitting in school one time, and the word of the day was metamorphosis, uh-huh. and I and I was like immediately raised my hand, and I was like, metamorphosis means blah 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 blah. And the teacher was like, that's great. How did you know that? And I was like, well, the way that I knew that is actually from the Incredible Hulk TV show. <laughs> That is. I don't think the teacher knew what to say. I think she was just sort of like, okay. I mean, that was a pretty popular show. Yeah, it was in the day. I mean, the first. I I would say the first couple of seasons in particular. It it Mm -hmm. waned pretty quickly. There were a lot of TV shows like that in the seventies. I mean, Six Million Dollar Man was that way. It was like super popular at Mm -hmm. first, and then it was like people lost interest, and you know. I mean, hell, even Star Trek was like that. Star Trek was super popular at first, and then ratings took a huge dive in the third season. That's why it got canceled, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and it, sure, it had its rebirth and its resurgence, luckily for lots of Star Trek fans, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to just think about that. A lot of genre shows mm-hmm. from, you know, like late 60s up until like mid 80s mm-hmm. were, were sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's my thoughts on this episode. Yeah, you know, I I gotta say, I, I um, really enjoyed this one. I thought that it was it was it was a damn good episode. I think that it it ends up rising above uh, in some ways because it, I would argue without the Tom stuff um, that it would still be a good episode, but because of the Tom stuff and the way that it's handled. Not just the fact that we're getting the information, but how it's related re- relayed to us. Uh, the episode gets high marks for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, it kind of makes you wish like they could do more episodes where they could like mm-hmm. make it more personal for Sam and Al. But then if you started had you started doing that with every episode, like it would have gotten yeah. it would gotten very tiresome very quickly. If, if every other episode Sam just got a new memory. And that right. emotionally ties into they, they would have it would have started to feel formulaic. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he very often would find a new skill that somehow ties into right, right. whatever. But well, but one thing that I will say is that, uh, and, and when we get into next week's episode, we'll definitely talk about this. Um, is that there are episodes that don't have this, like the Tom stuff or something akin to that. 
that still work really well because Sam gets personally involved with the people that are around the person he's leapt into in a really nice way. And then there are times when that doesn't happen and the episodes fall kind of flat. Um, so I think that this episode is great because you get a sense that Sam really cares about Chris a great deal. He has a properly antagonistic relationship with Ray, exactly how it should be. And then on top of all of that, he's rediscovering these memories about Tom. Um, and, and it's handled in just a wonderful way, not only for Sam, but for the audience. And so, yeah, this episode works really well. Jess really liked it a lot as well. Um, I think she would love to even talk about it a little bit. She can't, she can't be here with us today, unfortunately, but I'm sure she'll be back on at some point. Um, or another one of our listeners will guest and mm-hmm. tell us their thoughts on mm-hmm. an episode. Um, but that said, thank you all so much again for joining us and, uh, we're going to leap on out of here. All right. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. Can't see.